1: Hi, friends, and what's good, y'all? Welcome to episode sixty of In the Deep. Schwabzi here, flying solo once again as we await Jordan's triumphant return. I won't be doing any bits today about uh, what what he's doing this week, as his absence is a serious matter, and I, I really I shouldn't be making light of it. the 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 world can be an ugly place, and I, like many, often let that get to me. Like these silly podcasts that. I do that we do together uh, are always a highlight of my weeks. And I know that me being as fun to be around as I am, I can only assume that the feeling is mutual for Jordan. I, I hope that Jordan and I together do for you all at home listening what what this whole process does for us. So even though Jordan can't be with us on this episode, I went and I asked him to do something special and record a message for you all to, to give us an update on how he's doing and tell us what he's been up to. So, uh, here, here's that, here's what Jordan had to say. I want to steal the declaration of independence. Just (laughs) it's beautiful. (sighs) As beautiful as that was though, we can't stay somber forever. So let's get to business. Before we get into the thing, uh, you know, the, the whole fantasy baseball thing, as always, you can find us on Twitter at our shared account, at in the deep pl, at Jordan's solo account, bunt singles, or at, or, you know, me at my account, shwebsi. Or if you want to send Jordan love notes or send me hate mail, we, we can be reached at uh, our, our shared email account at uh, in the deep PL at gmail.com. So this week is going to be a little different. I will not be doing any deep dives. And I'm, I'm sorry in advance to those of you who like to hear me talk for 32 uninterrupted minutes about a single player while saying nothing of substance. But uh, with, with the trade deadline going down last week, I, I felt like it would be more valuable for you guys to kind of give a league-wide rundown of new playing time situations that have opened up or, or shifted around. So uh, this week, I'll be starting off with our usual uh, closer and talking about the honorable mentions first. And after that, I'll be going through every single team in the league and discussing if the trade line impacted their deep league players uh, and uh, how it impacted them. I'm going to start with Lars Newtbar. If I was going to do a deep dive this week, it would have been on Lars Newt Bar. And it's not just because I want to say Lars Newt Bar over and over again. I cannot hear the name Lars Newt Bar without either thinking of candy bars or that little penguin going Newt Newt. But anyway, uh, I, I love what Newt Bar is doing right now. Uh, he's got a ton of the indicators that I like to see in a breakout pick. Like, if. if things continue in this direction if he keeps doing what he's been doing in the last few weeks i i love him i like he could be a late season monster like this is a major upside play because like his his k rates are dropping his walk rates are rising his zone contact is up his chase rate is down he's just straight up better like full stop lately and honestly i don't know if Newt Bar's emergence was a factor in Harrison Bader getting traded, but that Bader trade really only strengthens my my love of Lars in this uh you know the, these last couple of months of the season because there's just so like like with Bader gone that's just one less player that could impede his playing time. He's played I think it's ten games in a row now, twelve out of a or twelve out of thirteen something like that. He's playing pretty much every day. He's hitting the heck out of the ball. I'm mad that I don't roster him in more leagues. I, I do have him in TGFBI, my incredibly hopeless TGFBI team. But uh yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to what he can do over the next couple of months. Uh so there was a pretty notable promotion. Well, two two pretty notable promotions over in Los Angeles. The the uh the better Los Angeles team, the Dodgers. Miguel Vargas was is uh, the more notable one. He has been more than capable in AAA as a 22-year-old after thoroughly demolishing AA last year. And I think if he played for a different organization, he would have been in the majors by now. And I think for a different organization, I would be more excited about it. But I just... Unfortunately, I don't think he's anything more than a short-term ad right now, if that Because Chris Taylor is due back any day now. I think he came back today, actually. And Vargas has only started in one of the three games since being called up. Eventually, Justin Turner will be back. And I just don't think the playing time is going to be there for Vargas to be very impactful for much, if any, of the next two months. There was another call up recently for the Dodgers, James Outman which is honestly, that is a god-awful, that is a terrible, terrible name for a, a hitter. Fantastic name if he's a pitcher, but unfortunately uh, he did not get that memo during his development phase. Uh, <laughs> fun with small sample sizes, as of this writing, or as of this recording, James Outman has a 43.8% strikeout rate, 438 strikeout rate, and a 1,000 BABIP. A one. 1.000. I guess that's a one, not a thousand. But uh, I, I feel pretty strongly that this is not it. This is not going to be the guy. Uh, maybe uh, th- th- I feel more confident in Outman being productive in the short term than Vargas, I think. But really, I, I'm not adding either of them. I have zero shares except for Vargas and Dynasty. Uh Like So Outman had two scorching hot games upon reaching the majors, and since then he has struck out in six out of eight plate appearances. I really don't think he's destined for regular plate appearances, and we hammer this point home all the time. The key to success in deep leagues is getting those plate appearances. It's not the only step, but it's the first step and maybe the most important step and Outman is not there unfortunately at least I, I don't think he will he will be for uh, any length of time moving over to cleveland i want to talk about a couple of players over there so framil reyes was sent down to the minors which was a surprise to many but one of the main beneficiaries of framil reyes being sent to the shadow realm is oscar gonzalez Oscar Gonzalez was already playing every single day before his IL trip, and he has resumed that playing time load upon returning. His plate discipline is terrible, but there is plenty of juice in the bat, and there is more than enough bat-to-ball skill that Oscar Gonzalez can absolutely matter in deep batting average leagues, although I would not be touching him with a 10-foot pole in an OBP league because, woof, that, that is that is a rough, rough, OBP. Uh, he doesn't strike out that much, which kind of is a, is a trend for the Guardians. The Guardians also called up a sec a, another player, Tyler Freeman, one of their top prospects, and they seem to have a type, because this lot this is a Guardians lineup that has Andres Jimenez, Steven Kwan, Ahmed Rosario, Jose Ramirez, Josh Naylor, and Miles Straw. All of these guys are really good at putting the bat on the ball and no- noticing, like noticing that group of players. Actually, made me go check the league-wide statistics, and the Guardians do, in fact, have the lowest strikeout rate of any team in baseball, and it's by like a full percentage point. Like they, they definitely have a type. They, they're doing this on purpose, it seems, and uh, they're they're doing it successfully. So what do we, do we care about Tyler Freeman? Well, he's started both games since reaching the majors, which is a good sign. We, we like to see that for uh, possible fantasy goodness. But what about the actual production? Sorry, it's actually uh, three straight games that he's played now, and he has played one game started one game at third base, one game at shortstop, and one game at second base. Which is nice for that uh, that positional versatility down the road. I don't think Tyler Freeman is a league winner. He's he's not that kind of upside play, but I mean he can be like a like like I mentioned all those players earlier. That list of Guardians players, and the player on that list that he probably resembles the most is like a less dramatic Stephen Kwan. Like, he doesn't quite have Stephen Kwan's allergy to strikeouts, but players like this, like, like Stephen Kwan has value. Like, I'm not running out to add Freeman, but he's definitely a potential add if your middle infield spot is suffering and your team has power elsewhere. If you need home runs, do not pick up Tyler Freeman. If you need a ton of stolen bases, do not pick up Tyler Freeman. But if you need, like, you know, a Joey Wendell type who's going to get on base. He's going to put the bat on the ball, home run here and there, stolen base here and there. Freeman might be your kind of guy. Now, moving back west over to the San Francisco Giants, because of course, I have to talk about the San Francisco Giants every episode, at least once. Uh, since returning to the Giants lineup on July 6th, Joey Bart has shown some of the promise that made him a top catching prospect as over the last month or so he's been hitting 273 with 4 home runs, 9 runs and 9 RBI. Although the plate discipline is still pretty garbage, so I'm not sure that I would bet on this lasting. I don't think he's my favorite among 20% or less catchers. I'm actually going to pull that list up real quick so that I can uh tell you guys how I really feel. Like, there's actually a lot of catching talent under 20%. Like, I mean, I I think I'd rather have, like, I I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I'd rather have Jose Trevino. Like, Jose Trevino's been awesome lately, Uh, or Carson Kelly. But Joey Bart's been good. He's got the prospect pedigree. You know, if if you're staring at a bunch of options that you don't like in a two-catcher league, Joey Bart has absolutely been swinging a hot stick lately. So this one is a write-in suggestion by a friend of mine, Buster. Would you believe that Nick Gordon, over his past 132 plate appearances, has 135 WRC+. Plus? And that was before today. Today he went 3 for 5 with a double and a home run. He tends to not show up well on player raiders. Because he has lackluster counting stats, not a lot of runs, not a lot of ribbies, but he absolutely fits into that Luis Renjifo mold where he's playing every day, he's playing well, and he offers a lot of positional versatility. Like, he he's kind of like, trade, take, take what I said earlier about Tyler Freeman, take away a little bit of that bat-to-ball skill and... Add a little bit of the power and a little bit of the speed, or actually a good bit to the speed for Nick Gordon. And that, that's kind of the idea. Like he'll do a little bit of everything, but he doesn't have like that standout skill like Freeman does with the bat to ball, but he's also a little bit better everywhere else. So yeah, I mean, last year I remember Nick Gordon being like legitimately good for my AL only team for September. I you know he's absolutely capable of putting together fantasy relevant stretches and he's been doing that for the last 2 months or so. Uh Seth Brown is up to 16 dingers. I feel like I talk about him every week. So I mean here I am continuing that trend and talking about Seth Brown again. Uh is it the quietest 16 home runs in baseball? I don't know, maybe. Who uh, let me see. I'm going to I'm going to pull up this list of home runs real quick and see if anyone else with 16 home runs has done it more quietly. Like, let's see. Did did you know that uh, he's got as many home runs as Teoscar Hernandez, like Charlie Blackman, like Seth Brown is a you know, he's forty second in baseball in home runs. That's that's quality. That is a decent amount of power. He's probably going to wind up with twenty five home runs, and he's basically free all year long. He was free during draft season. He's free now. So Luis Gonzalez. Oh, Luis Gonzalez, my God. I've got giants on the brain, you guys. Luis Garcia of the Washington Nationals might be the only player worth anything in that godforsaken cesspool of a lineup. My God, that team is bad right now. Uh, They just came off beating the Mets too, so I I get to feel extra bad about that terrible lineup. But, woof, man. Uh, Luis Garcia is hitting second. He's hitting second every day lately. He's got good bats of ball skills. I don't love him. But he's young. He absolutely tore apart the minor leagues. And I mean, there's no reason he can't be a quality bat. Like he's 22 and he's already putting up a league average slash line in the majors. I mean, (laughs) God, I just noticed that he's got a sub 1% walk rate. Not ideal. That's not what you want. But. He does enough things that he still makes it work. Like, so so what he's got a 299 OBP. He's also got a 293 batting average. <laughs> you know, you, you think usually uh there are some guys who their uh their OBP is dependent on their batting average because they walk like 5% of the time. But this is the most extreme case of that that I have ever seen. Wow, wow, 0.9% walk rate. That is incredible. But I I digress. Uh, I do think Luis Garcia is capable of better than this. Uh, He's never walked a lot in the minors, but he's also never been close to this extremely bad at taking a free pass. I, I, I I do. I wonder if he's more of a dynasty league guy than a, a, a target for this year because like being an empty three hundred hitter in a bad lineup, I just don't. I just don't know how valuable that's going to be this year. So I wonder if he's more of like a, a kind of a keeper guy, or <laughs> if if the Nationals are going to be good ever again. But yeah, I mean he's he he is a good batting average bat. You know that's that's something we can definitely say about him at this point. It's just a matter of what's going to happen around him or, or, or how often he'll be able to poke the ball over the fence to really, really determine his value in the long term. Um, the last thing I want to talk about with hitters in the honorable mentions is that Nicky Lopez is seemingly figuring it out. Uh, if you guys were playing fantasy baseball last year, I'm sure you remember the stretch of time where Nicky Lopez was suddenly like incredible. Like there was it was like after Adalberto Montesi went down and suddenly Nicky Lopez was like, oh, hey, I want to steal bases now. I want to hit for batting average now. Well, he's kind of doing it again. Kind of. Uh, Since the beginning of July, he's hitting 307 with five stolen bases, which doesn't sound like much. But honestly, it's over 111 plate appearances. So, you know, we're talking like over a full season, 20 plus stolen bases. Um, what, what is this, like 80 runs? Uh, you know, this is fine. He's not going to hit any home runs. But if you need stolen bases, Nicky Lopez is a decent option right now. And, uh, you know, it's like a, like a Luis Garcia with a little bit more speed and a more <laughs> more runs scored. God, I'm just I'm learning as we go that I really don't like Luis Garcia that much, which is actually coming as a surprise to me. Live. I'm learning things about myself. Let's take this journey together. Let's take this journey towards hating Luis Garcia together. Oh, God. Um, Moving on to some honorable mention pitchers. I mean, there's the usual selection of kind of uh, what we call them, Toby's here at Pitcher List. Where you know you could take him or leave them, they're streamers. Uh, there's James Caprellian, there's Kyle Freeland, Cutter Crawford. Actually, the guy that I'm kind of interested in here, I think, is Cutter Crawford. Because he just keeps on making it work. Like, he doesn't have the most outstanding stuff, but lately the cutter has just been getting it done. And if that Boston offense clicks like it can, and suddenly you know he's got a decent, a couple of decent pitches and a strong offense behind him. Cutter Crawford is probably my favorite of that kind of lump of pitchers, with the exception of Mitch Keller. <laughs> I did a I did an appearance on Potapalooza a couple of weeks back, and one of the questions that Justin Mason asked me was or asked the panel was, uh, what do you look for in in a streamer? And I was was very much joking when I said this because I keep on picking up Mitch Keller over and over again in all of my leagues. I I said, is their name Mitch Keller? Then I add them. That's what I look for in a streamer. Um, He's now given up one run or less in four of his last five starts. That includes dates at Colorado, and against Philly, which are not cupcake matchups, the strikeouts are up and down. As he only got five whiff today against the Orioles, which is really, really not what you want. <laughs> that's that's an Orioles esque pitching line. That's not what what happens when you pitch against the Orioles. But uh, last week I said that I was hammering this Mitch Keller stream, and Mitch kind of came through. the The whip wasn't pretty. The strikeouts weren't pretty, but he got you that uh, he got you that quality start. He gets uh, he gets Arizona next at Arizona, and that is another start that I am totally okay with. I don't know if he'll continue this trend of only allowing one run or less in most of his starts, but I'd be willing to bet that he struck out more than one person at Arizona. God, I hope so. Uh, Probably overshadowed, overshadowed a little bit by Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo graham ashcraft in cincinnati he's interesting i thought he had i i thought he had better strikeout stuff when i uh when i first started looking into him because i i knew i knew he threw hard and i thought he went like would miss more bats but then i looked at his profile and he actually gets like first percentile whiff rates which is not good that's bad that that's bad y'all um And, you know, being like the third best rookie pitcher on your own team generally lets you fly under the radar, but he's interesting for like a quality start kind of thing because he just, uh, he, he gets soft contact. He, he generally, uh, just, just gets the job done. He's sitting in the low fours for his ERA. And I don't think he's going to have many electric starts this year, but he might just be that perfectly cromulent arm that gets you the, the the win or the quality start when you need it and honestly maybe this contact suppression is the kind of arm that will work in the great american ballpark as opposed to a uh, hunter green's electric arm which frequently allows the uh opposing batter to you know electrify a fastball 450 feet um speaking of nick lodolo actually Nick Lodolo is sitting at 22% rostered. Aaron Ashby is sitting at 24% rostered. Th- this is that one time per episode that I go, why are these guys not rostered yet? Why, why haven't you, and yes, you, I mean you personally, why haven't you added these guys yet? Because it's insane that they're under 25% rostered. These are the highest upside arms that you're going to find rostered in this few leagues this late in the year, unless you're talking about like a fresh call-up that just no one knows about yet. Uh like they, they're both they they both have great strikeout upside and they can put together a monster line on any given night. And they have all the opportunity they could possibly want right now. They're both they both have starting spots locked down. Maybe uh maybe in a month we have to worry about you know innings limitations. But right now, it is all systems go with these guys. Back to uh, back to Los Angeles and the Dodgers. This probably isn't relevant to a lot of you guys because he's probably already been stashed or added. But if he's out there, go grab Dustin May. This is just, uh, hopefully, for, for your sakes, hopefully the rest of the managers in your league are sleeping and have not added Dustin May yet, but he's on his rehab assignment. He is looking filthy, and you trust me, you want him on your team when he gets back to the majors. Wrapping up the honorable mentions, I'm going to talk about a few relievers, more more than a few relievers. On the uh, on the Yankees, Clark Schmidt is back in the majors, which yeah, good good for him. He <laughs> I think he is a victim of being a, uh, a a swing man on the New York Yankees, who have some of the best swing men in baseball all year long. But Clark Schmidt is good, man. He's he's put, he's got a two four ERA so far this year. He doesn't strike out enough guys, I don't think, to be a truly elite reliever. But I mean, we were. I I would have said the same thing if I looked at like Clay Holmes' numbers earlier in the year too. I do I I'm a little bit enticed by Clark Schmidt, but the guy that I'm really interested by is Jonathan Jonathan He's back. He looks great. And I don't know if you guys remember, but last year, even as a middle reliever, Johnny Lasagna was awesome and absolutely worth rostering in most league types. He was getting wins, he got the occasional save. Uh I don't see any reason why he wouldn't go back to a similar role, especially since uh, Michael King is hurt. Like that's a huge, huge weapon that's down out of the Yankees bullpen. And it's the perfect role for Loisaga to take over again. Right now the the ERA is a little bit inflated and the walks are up a little, but I, I have faith in him to turn around. Like he's now gone Let's see, what is this? Six straight appearances without giving up a run. Sorry, five straight, and uh what is that? Seven out of eight appearances without giving up a run. I think I I, I just you know, we've we've gone through this many a time on this podcast. The long reliever is a very, very underrated asset in deep fantasy leagues. And Loisica is one of those guys. People are going to look at that current 6-3 ERA and not, they're not going to grab him off a free agent. And this is the chance to kind of swoop in and get him and, you know, snag those vulture wins now before they, uh, before they start showing up uh, in bulk later. So uh, as for actual closers, a lot has happened a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm just going to give a quick rundown of the sub 20% closers that I like the most. I mean, it's Felix Bautista with a bullet. Like he's the best. Like I, I would be trying to grab Felix Bautista in absolutely every single league that I can right now. And then second would be Rowan Wick because, uh, out of the Cubs bullpen, I just feel like he's the safest bet to, uh, Save games. I I just don't think there's a good second option there. After Roman Wick would be uh, A J Puck slash Zach Jackson, whichever of those two guys runs away with that job. If if either of them do, I I'm really hoping it's Puck. I've I've been kind of championing Puck all year long. Hopefully, this is finally his time and he can uh you know get more than a couple of saves. He's already uh he's already gotten. One or two. Actually, I, I think they've split the last two. Uh, Zach Jackson and AJ Puck. Yep. Jackson got a save on the third. Puck got a save on the fourth. But he's a uh, Puck is handicapped a little bit because he's a lefty. Uh, handicapped in, in any closer race because most managers don't seem to want to put their lefties in closer roles. But Zach Jackson walks 12.6% of batters. That is so many. And that probably hurts his chances at being a solid closer long-term, I would think. So after the uh, Oakland committee, I've talked many times about Andres Munoz. I love Andres Munoz. He got a save the other day against the Yankees. It, It was a little bit of a rough appearance, but the Yankees are kind of a rough team to pitch against. After that, I would go Kyle Finnegan of the Nationals and Jonathan Hernandez of the uh, Rangers, kind of in a tie. But that tie is mostly just because I don't know how many wins either of those teams are going to get for the rest of the year. If it was purely about skills, I would say that uh, I, I think I would prefer Finnegan, but I just have no faith in the Washington Nationals to put him in save situations for the rest of the year. The Nationals might win, you know, 20 games for the rest of the year. Possibly not even that. Uh, And then we've got the Pirates. I don't, man, they did not trade David Bednar, which I really thought they were going to do. So I, I, I was kind of thinking that some they'd have a new closer like Gary De Los Santos or Will Crow. But uh now David Bednar's hurt. He's still on the team and they're kind of trying to just throw anything at the wall to see what sticks in the cl- in the uh, save situations. Will Crow got one. Gary De Los Santos blew one the other day. I'm just avoiding that situation, honestly. All right. So that is it for our honorable mentions After this, we will be moving on to the trade deadline roundup, but first let's take a little ad break. All right. And we are back. So we went through the honorable mentions earlier. Now I'm going to take you through every single team, all 30, and talk about if there were any deep league ramifications of their trade deadline moves. We're going to go division by division, team by team, and hit every single team because uh, I don't value my free time. And I, I, uh, I, I wanted to uh, make sure we hit every one of these teams. So starting with the AL East, uh, we'll go with an alphabetical order here. Baltimore, nothing really changes in the lineup. Uh, it's weird. This is one of the teams that I would have expected there to be some shakeup, but I guess they were they were doing too well to truly do any sort of teardown. They really only traded the absolute common sense guys like... Uh, oh God, why am I blanking on his name? Trey Mancini, that guy who is doing awesome for Houston, but we don't really care about that because he's not 20% or less. Uh, Because of Trey Mancini leaving, Terran Vavra gets more playing time, but I don't think anyone should care. I don't care about Tyler Nevin. Maybe Brett Phillips gets some more playing time and gets to bring his uh, power, speed, no batting average, occasional reliever nonsense to, uh, to Baltimore. That would be fun, but I just I don't really think it's valuable. Nothing really doing in the rotation. It's the same uh, same kind of set of guys that are boring potential streamers. And uh, in the bullpen, like I said before, that maybe the most fantasy relevant thing. I'm I'm exaggerating because Juan Soto got traded, but maybe one of the most fantasy relevant things that happened. during this trade deadline was Felix Bautista getting the closer job. Dude, he could save like 15 or 20 more games before this year is over. Like I I love Felix Bautista and I'm really excited to see what he can do in this closer role. Boston, nothing happened. I mean, things happened in Boston, but nothing really happened in sub 20% land. Like, I don't know, maybe Christian Arroyo gets hot, but really, I, I don't think we care. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. got released, but I don't think anyone was really rostering him anyway. Uh, kind of the same thing in, uh, in Yankeeville, the New York Yankees. Most of them are too good for us to care about. Uh, Aaron Hicks, I don't think is going to lose any playing time with the addition of Andrew Benintendi. That was probably the biggest concern. They actually have a couple of pretty good 20% and under contributors in Aaron Hicks and Jose Trevino, but I don't really think anything changed with their outlook uh, after the trade deadline. Tampa Bay. Hey, finally, something I care about. David Peralta got traded to Tampa Bay in an under the radar move and he's playing every day so far. And personally, I jumped on him immediately in my AL only league. I think this is going to be one I think this is going to wind up being one of the more subtly impactful moves of the deadline. The Rays depth chart is in shambles right now and Peralta is likely to get everyday playing time for the foreseeable future. The ballpark stinks, yes. But historically I think it's righties that have struggled more in that ballpark and you know that's not Peralta. Peralta's a lefty, so you know maybe uh, maybe he gets to avoid that in Toronto, closing out the AL East. The only trade deadline thing that I'm really looking at here is the acquisition of Mitch White. Although I don't have a lot of faith in Mitch White to succeed in the Rogers Center versus the versus uh, Dodger Stadium, he could be a solid fifth starter up there, and I expect him to be streamer-relevant against weak offenses. Like, if Mitch White is starting at Baltimore, yes, absolutely stream him. But You know, it's it's more of a uh, it's it's definitely not like a am he's not a league winner by any means. Going uh, to the other league, the uh, NL East, Atlanta added Jake Odorizzi. And I think that's the main name to pay attention to here. He's been kind of unheralded and underrated since his struggles in the bullpen for Houston. But I love this pickup for Atlanta. This is this is an interleague trade. Uh went from Houston to Atlanta, AL to NL. So, you know, you AL and NL only league owners out there, this is uh this is an important one. I kind of expected Robbie Grossman to be a thing, but he hasn't played since being traded over there, and it looks like he's going to be strictly a short side platoon guy, which is, you know, sad for him. He was so good last year, and all of a sudden he's like he can't get playing time for the Detroit Tigers. You know, let alone the defending World Series champions, Miami surprisingly didn't really do anything at the trade deadline. It feels like year after year they are one of the best candidates to make like a big impactful move, and they just don't. I don't really understand what's going on over there, but we can move on. Going to my favorite team, the uh, New York Mets, I really want to talk about what their DH situation has turned into. There, there's no way that I wasn't going to talk about this. My favorite team acquired one of my favorite players in the league, and I am psyched. I must have gushed to Jordan in, our, in his DMs about having Vogie on the Mets like half a dozen times already. I literally I made a Discord emote of Daniel Vogelbach's face. I made several Twitter memes that got absolutely no likes. I am uh, obsessed with having Daniel Vogelbach on the Mets. He's actually, he's my he's my wife's favorite Met now too. She just loves that this refrigerator-sized human is a baseball player. Just the sheer size of the lad has attracted my wife to him. Uh, Vogelbach is being used exactly how you'd want him to be used. And that is the large, and I mean large, side DH platoon bat, which gives him value because he has 14 home runs and a 934 OPS against righties this year. He's already got two home runs as a Met. He's getting on base at an obscene rate, and I kind of feel like there's an odd man out here, which is very painful for me, and I know it's going to be painful for Jordan, because the odd man out is going to be Darren Ruff. I just don't think Ruff is going to get the playing time for the Mets that he got for the Giants, which is both good and bad, because he was stretched as an everyday player. He just was, he wasn't hitting righties. He was still crushing lefties as he does. But I think for the Mets, he is going to be more, uh, like he's going to be pigeonholed into that lefty mashing role. And that's it. I just don't think you're going to see him get many, if any starts against righties. So he's become, and, and this has been trending in that direction, even for the giants he is just strictly a daily league guy. Now he should, he is the complete opposite of set it and forget it. Uh, moving on to the last team in the NL East, the Washington nationals. It is, this just makes me sad. It is such a bummer that the team with the most post deadline opportunity also happens to have the least talent. I just, I i I think Lane Thomas. I care about Lane Thomas. I have liked him all year long. He had a three home run game, but other than that, it's been pretty underwhelming. He's got a home run since the trade deadline. I am very much hoping that they continue to give him full-time plate appearances. And that's probably the biggest, he's probably the biggest benefactor of the Washington Nationals sell-off. Their openings now are like in the outfield and at first base and they, I mean, they traded for Luke Voigt. So they, they don't, you know, there's, there's no like young masher who's going to come up. I don't think they even have a young masher, but I mean, it's just a, it's, it's an uninspiring lineup and the guys on the, there, there's no one on the bench who's threatening to, you know, take a chunk of playing time and run with it. It's so it's a it's a very very low upside group right now. I think. Uh, moving over to the AL Central, we can uh, we can skip a couple of these teams right away. The White Sox didn't really do anything. The Cleveland Guardians didn't really do anything. I talked before about uh, Oscar Gonzalez. I'm a fan of that. The Tigers, they traded away Robbie Grossman, but I don't think that really helps anyone. So Akil Badu and Daz Cameron now have less competition for playing time. Those are names to watch. They've both shown flashes in the past, but I'm just until they actually show one of the, some of those flashes again in in like more than a, you know one game at a time. I'm just I'm pretty out on them, which is a bummer because they're both very talented baseball players. Over in Kansas City, with the trades of Andrew Benintendi and Whit Merrifield, uh, playing time has opened up for, I don't know, Michael Massey, and I don't think I care about that. Like I, I had never heard of Michael Massey before. Like yesterday, when someone in my uh, AL only league picked him up, and I, I gave it a big all who. The the interesting thing about what's going on with the new Kansas City lineups, is that. MJ Melendez has been shifted to the corner outfield with uh, Salvador Perez's return from the IL. And that's interesting because it allows both Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado to get full time plate appearances. Both of those guys are sub 20%. And that's, I mean, between the two, I would absolutely be targeting Pasquatch over uh, Nick Prado full time. But. Prado, like he's still worth monitoring. They were both, they, you know, they were like, like Pasquantino was definitely like the superior prospect, but they were still both very notable prospects. With the Benintendi trade, I thought that we would be getting playing time for Kyle Isbell or Edgar Olivares, but that doesn't appear to be happening. Maybe when Olivares comes off the IL, that will change because Olivares was showing some really good signs before going on the IL but at this point it looks like uh the the only real beneficiaries are Nick Prado and I I guess Michael Massey whoever that is you know what I I am turns out I'm being disrespectful towards Michael Massey cuz he had a 157 WRT plus in a AAA he hit the heck out of the ball uh it was mostly batting average driven but he you know he had some had some thump too he had uh 16 home runs across two levels yeah he's better than i'm giving him credit for maybe uh he had a nice little 16 home run 13 stolen base line across like uh 400 plate appearances really not bad so maybe i'm uh maybe i'm being too mean towards michael massey uh over in minnesota this team is a mess like they're their depth chart is a mess of injuries and playing time battles, but it's not really—it uh, doesn't really have anything to do with the trade deadline. So we're not really going to talk about it here. The only thing that happened in the trade deadline for them, from a fantasy perspective, really is that Joanne uh, Duran is probably not going to pick up the odd save here or there anymore, which which is sad because he's so fun. Moving over to the NL Central, from a fan perspective, this is my biggest disappointment of the trade deadline. The Chicago Cubs didn't really do anything. I thought they might trade Wilson, uh, Wilson Contreras to the Mets. I was really hoping for that, but they didn't do that. They didn't trade Jan Gomes. They didn't trade Ian Happ. Like, they, they acquired Zach McKinstry which is cool, I guess. And it looks like Rowan Wick is their new closer. But all in all, not not a whole lot to talk about here. Maybe the team that I'm most excited about on the flip side, though, is the, uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Because after the deadline, it is looking like Jose Barrero and Aristides Aquino will have full-time roles going forward. And also Jake Fraley, who I kind of liked in the offseason as an under-the-radar option, will at least get play, played appearances against righties. I would absolutely, if, if I need an upside play, I would be looking to add Aquino or Barrero right now. For Milwaukee, uh, nothing really happened from a deep league perspective. Pittsburgh is similar to Washington in that this should be a team full of opportunity, but there's just not enough talent to care. They opened up playing time at catcher and first base, but I just can't bring myself to care about Bly, Madras, whatever that is. They didn't trade David Bednar, so the closer situation remains mostly steady, uh, you know, uh, once he's off the IL. So, I mean, honestly, a a big ol' womp womp for Pittsburgh. Although they did give the Mets Vogelbach, so congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Who am I congratulating? Congratulations, me, for the Pittsburgh Pirates trading the Mets Daniel Vogelbach. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, they acquired Jordan Montgomery. We don't really care about that. That's too uh, too too rostered for our tastes. And they traded away Harrison Bader, who I was a big fan of coming into this year. But he's also out until September. The good thing about that Harrison Bader trade is it probably locks in some playing time for Lars Neupar, which, as I said earlier, I'm very excited about. Also, I think I can't believe I'm saying this. Every single week up to this point, and I mean every week, we look at all the pitchers in the league and go, which sub 20% pitchers do we care about that have been doing well lately? And Jose Quintana is always on that list, and I ignore him every single week. But I think I care. I think I care that he's a Cardinal. I think I care about him more now. Like the Cardinals have a history of taking these underwhelming starting pitchers and like turning them into something. Or just elevating them beyond their skills, maybe Quintana is the next in a, in the long line of devil magic starting pitchers for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. I, I don't know. It, I don't. I don't know if they're on like a ley line or something, a ma- like a magical source point. But uh, I'm kind of excited for uh, Jose Quintana. I, I can't explain it. Uh, all right. So that's the Central. Moving on to the AL West. Very happy for Trey Mancini in Houston. Very sad for some of my in-the-deep favorites, Chaz McCormick and Jake Myers, because those are probably the guys that will see their playing time take the most uh, hits from uh, Trey Mancini being present. Uh, Oletmus Diaz, I think, is uh, about to see a steep decline in playing time also. So uh, the trade deadline was a big negative for in-the-deep favorites over in Houston. In I can't believe I'm about to say this in Los Angeles for the angels. I'm mildly interested in Mickey Moniak. I I'm not going to do anything crazy like add him, but he wouldn't it be fun if he would be a post-hype sleeper? He was such he's such a like a well-advertised bust that it would be fun if he turned it around and was good. And to his credit. Moniac completely destroyed the minor leagues this year. He was good. I, I think the moves that LA has made probably cement Luis Renjifo uh, and his playing time for the rest of the year. The bullpen, man, you'll notice that I did not even mention the Angels bullpen situation when we were talking about closers earlier, and that is because uh, there is no one in this bullpen that I would want to take a shot on. Maybe. Maybe Jose Quijada, maybe, but I don't think I care. Uh, Oakland, we already talked about AJ Puck. That's the thing that I'm most excited about on this team post deadline. Like the most notable thing that the A's did was not really trade people away. Like they traded away Montes, yes, but they kept Sean Murphy. They kept Ramon Laureano. So the only real ramifications for for this team are the closer situation. And who's going to get starts for the A's for the rest of the year? Which mediocre starters will put up mediocre stat lines for the Oakland Athletics? Adam Aller, maybe? Oller, former Met, has already made me very sad this year with his mediocre starting pitching. But there was a time that I was excited about him. And I thought that the uh, the old Met's curse of the traded away player doing really well was going to strike here. But so far, uh, none of that has affected Adam Aller. And I mean, supposedly Aller is their fifth, uh, fourth starter now, and they need a fifth starter. Who's that going to be? Who knows? What is even going on in Oakland? I don't know. In Seattle, uh, nothing really trade deadline oriented, which is interesting because they did make some trades. Carlos Santana is at 25%. And his Statcast profile is dope. Lots of bread, lots of good numbers. But it hasn't really shown up that much in his normal numbers. He's been good since, well, he was good after getting traded and then bad again. And he had a home run yesterday or the day before. So maybe he's trending back towards good again. Uh, hard to say, but he's, it's been up and down. Texas, I was surprised, was quiet at the deadline. Especially after how hard they went during the, regu- the uh, offseason this year, spending all that money. It's weird to see them suddenly be passive. Uh, one thing that I do want to mention, Bubba Thompson has now started a few games in a row. And in the minors this year, he stole 49 bases in 80 games in AAA while hitting three oh two with 13 home runs. I, I don't know if I'm going to add him. But, I mean, do with that information what you will. Those are video game numbers, and he stole two bases today. So you know, if you need steals, this might be uh, this might be your next John Burgie. Moving finally to the NL West. <laughs> I like Beer. Uh, the return of Seth Beer, uh, David Peralta being traded away does open up some plate appearances and the beneficiaries of that so far seem to be Seth Beer but also keep an eye on Jake McCarthy who has now started 10 straight games and he's hitting at an above average clip with 3 home runs and 5 stolen bases it's nothing spectacular but he is a uh, he is there he he exists and he's playing every day which sometimes is enough colorado man <laughs> I don't, I don't even want to talk about Colorado. They they don't make any sense. I saw, I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of tweets about how the Rockies are simply just trying to like sign cool hangs and just be, you know, have a team full of dudes that are fun to be around, but you know what? Good for them, man. If you, if you want to own a major league team and not actually try to be good, but just, you know, have guys who like to be around each other and have fun, whatever, man, dude, you, you do you, you don't have to compete with the Dodgers, whatever speaking of the Dodgers, they traded for Joey Gallo, which is fun. Uh, I, I think the Dodgers could po- provide clean energy for the entire state of California with all the wind generated by this lineup whiffing constantly. But uh, I, I I don't understand the plan, but it's fun. Uh, Chris Taylor strikes out a ton. Bellinger strikes out a ton. Muncie, Gallo, this team strikes out a lot. But hey, I mean, they also have the most wins in the NL. So it's working. San Diego made the biggest move of the trade deadline. But I I guess kind of the nature of it being such a big move means that none of the pieces of it really impacted us, uh, us being the deep league people. So, yeah, I mean, Tatis and Josh Bell are well out of our range. Uh, I mean, Sorry, Soto and uh, Bell. The only impactful thing upcoming with San Diego, I guess, is Tatis starting his rehab assignment, and that will probably take away a lot of ha Kim's playing time. Finally, finally, 29 teams down, one to go. The San Francisco Giants. Is it finally J.D. Davis season? I had been waiting for it to be J.D. Davis season for years. Uh, This might have been the best case scenario for my boy, because the NL West might be the division with the most lefties in baseball, which kind of explains Austin Slater's recent hot streak and Darren Ruff's last couple of seasons, Uh, and the Giants love to turn outcasts into productive MLB hitters. J.D. Davis and Wilmer Flores both being productive major league hitters for the same non-Mets team? Would make me feel so many conflicting emotions that I don't. I frankly don't want to think about it. Uh, he's already got one home run, JD Davis, as a Giant, and uh, be, because it would hurt me, I expect there are many more to come. So yeah, that was it. That was uh that was our uh, that was our trade deadline rundown, and uh, I, I I think that's it for me. I think that's it for me this week uh if, if that was enough i don't know my my throat is sore i think that means i've spoken enough so yeah uh as always you can reach out to us on our socials on twitter at bunt singles for jordan at schwebzy for me or at in the deep pl on our shared account uh and if you would please do us a solid go ahead and go to your uh, your podcast platform of choice and give us a, a five star rating and uh yeah that's it for me bye friends